Oh, that we would be able to say today, look, the world has gone after him. Today's sermon title, we're calling it Among the Crowds. And also as we're looking at this story today, let me just begin as an introduction to today's story, just perhaps by answering this question. What is Palm Sunday? Why is this day, this Sunday right here that we're coming together, why is this such a, a significant day? Why is this day special? What is Palm Sunday? And I want to answer that for you as introduction to today's, today, today's sermon. I want to answer that question for you in three ways. When you ask the question, why is this day significant? I want you to remember three things about this day. All right? Number one, I want you to remember the hour. Number two, I want you to remember the donkey. And number three, remember the lamb. All right, I'm having trouble with my slide. If you can turn to the next uh, slide there for me, those in the media fishbowl up there. There it is. The hour, the donkey, and the lamb. Every time you think of Palm Sunday, think of these three things. What do I mean? First of all, the hour. When you go into the Gospel of John, especially, and you read about so many times where Jesus was speaking to the people, and yet the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, they hated Jesus. And there were so many times that when he spoke and said things like he was equal to the Father, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Savior of the world, they hated what he said, and they literally picked up stones to stone him. Or there are other times they just tried to grab him, arrest him, and kill him. But when you read about it, the Bible always says when they did that, Jesus always seemed to slip through the crowds and he was gone. They could never catch him. They could never hurt him. They could never arrest him. They could never stone him. Do you know why? Because the Bible always says his hour had not yet come. What was the hour that the Bible's talking about? The hour is that moment when Jesus would accomplish the exact thing he came here to do. It was the hour of his suffering, of his scourging, of his crucifixion, of his resurrection. That hour had not yet come. And no matter what they tried to do in order to destroy him and to silence him, they couldn't because his hour had not yet come. But on this day, Palm Sunday, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, you'll see in John chapter 12, verse 23, it says that Jesus said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified, meaning the time has come. It's Sunday. The hour has come, and in just a few short days, I will be crucified. I will die for the sins of the world, and then three days after that, I will be glorified in my resurrection, and then in my ascension into heaven. The Palm Sunday is when the, the moment of that hour began. Number two, the donkey. In the story, Jesus has his disciples, John and Peter, I believe, go and get a donkey, and not just the donkey, but the colt of the donkey, the young one. They brought it to Jesus, and when Jesus had that donkey come to him, 
He sat on it. And upon that donkey, he rode into Jerusalem. Now, why did he do that? Well, because according to the Old Testament, it was prophesied. God spoke through Zechariah to Israel that the day is coming when you will see your king. And he comes with salvation. And when he comes to you, he comes humbly riding on a donkey. Palm Sunday is the fulfillment of that very prophecy. It says, Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. A donkey that had never been ridden before, which would normally try to kick someone off of its back. Yet somehow this donkey knew, the very one that created me is the one sitting on me. And that donkey walked humbly into that city, carrying the king of kings. This day is a day of prophecy fulfilled. And third, remember the lamb. This day, Palm Sunday, this is the day when everybody's preparing their lambs for sacrifice. Because on Thursday, many people are coming to kill those lambs. Because those lambs represent the Passover. And the shedding of the blood of those lambs bring forgiveness to the people. And so on Sunday, it is the 10th day of Nisan in the Hebrew calendar. And on this day, God said to all the people, this is the day you go and get your lamb. Bring that lamb home and present it to the people and check it. Make sure it's healthy. Make sure it's young. It can see. It can hear. No broken bones, no blemishes, no spots. It has to be a perfect lamb. On this Sunday, you are to present your lamb. If you're by yourself, bring a lamb for you. If you're a family, then that lamb is for your family. And also on that day, there was one lamb that would die for the nation of Israel. God said on the 10th day of Nisan, you bring your lambs. And after four days, it's time to sacrifice those lambs. What do we know about Jesus? In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, do you remember what he said? The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just a person, not just a family or a nation, but the sins of the world. On this day when everybody is presenting their lambs, Jesus is presenting not a lamb, he's presenting himself to all the people as the Lamb of God who has come to die for the world. Palm Sunday is about the hour, it's about the one who rode on that donkey, and it's about the Lamb, the Lamb of God who came to die for the sins of the world. That's why we celebrate today. That's why we don't just look at Good Friday and Easter. We start with today. Today is the beginning of what we call the Passion Week. Now, as we go through today's story, remember that the theme of this week, we're calling it Walking with Jesus. Because I want to, as best as we can, to imagine what it would be like, like today, to walk with Jesus down the mountain and into that city of Jerusalem.
What did he hear? What did he see? How did he feel? Maybe as we look at today's story, we can sort of imagine ourselves in the story. So today, as we look at today's story, the title of the sermon is Among the Crowds. Because today, as Jesus is riding in, there are three kinds of crowds that are with him. Three different groups. And we're going to look at each one of them today. Group number one, or crowd number one, are those who hated him. The second crowd are those who had no use for him. The third crowd are those who loved him. So let's begin, if I can get my slides to work. And they're not. There it is. First crowd, those who hated him. Now we're going to look at this not from the first verse and then continue down uh, in order. We're going to look at groups at a time because I want to single out each group of people in the story. So let's begin with the group, the crowd, those who hated him. And with that, if you would, if you would, look at the Bible once again. I want to read these few verses, 10 to 11, and also verse 19. These are the people who hated Jesus. Watch what it says about them. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Those who hated him. The Bible says that Jesus was despised and rejected by men. In this story and elsewhere in the Gospels, we can see what that hate looked like. What did the hatred of men look like when they displayed it toward Jesus? Well, like I mentioned before, there were so many times they wanted to stone him. When he claimed to be the great I am, which only God is the I am, and yet he said before Abraham was, I am. They heard it and they picked up stones to kill him. And other times they wanted to grab him and throw him off of a cliff. That's what their hatred looked like. They hated the fact that when Jesus ate dinner, he ate with the people nobody else wanted to eat with. He ate with people who were called sinners. And he talked with them. He had compassion for them. He loved them. Jesus also interacted with many prostitutes. And the religious leaders hated that about him. How dare you speak to a woman like that? Not only did Jesus speak to those kinds of women, he had compassion for them, he healed them, he saved them, he loved them. Their hatred was also shown in the fact that they wanted to kill Lazarus. Did you notice that? They plotted to kill Lazarus. What did Lazarus do? What did he ever do to offend any of them? In fact, if you read the Bible, Read of the life of Lazarus, and you will find that up until this point, he hasn't done anything worth recording in, Bi in the Bible. He never said anything wonderful. He never did anything special. There was nothing about him that the Holy Spirit said, oh, here's something that he did. Never. The only thing Lazarus could do was die, and that's it. All he did was die. 
And four days later, somehow, someway, he heard the voice of God calling his name. And the next thing he knew, he's walking out of a tomb wrapped in grave's clothing. That's all he did. That's it. And they hated him. And they wanted to destroy him just because of that. You know, it reminds me today to all of you. We are like Lazarus. If you know Jesus, you're like Lazarus. Because the Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God made you alive. The moment you believed in Jesus, he made you alive. Now, just like Lazarus, they went to go see Lazarus because they wanted to see what is it like when a man is called by name by the Son of God. What happens to that kind of man? Well, here we are. He also called us, and he raised us from that spiritual death. What do you think the world thinks about us who love Jesus and call on his name? Do they love us or do they hate us? They hated Lazarus and they wanted him dead. And of course, you notice it says they plotted to kill Lazarus also. That means there's somebody else they wanted to kill. Who was that? Jesus. The ultimate of hatred. The way they demonstrated over all things was they took Jesus and they crucified him. Consider all these things and we see what their hate looked like. But also, we can see now why they hated him so much. They see, we can see what the hate looked like, but why did they hate him so much? First of all, according to John, it's because they were jealous of Jesus. The Jewish leaders were used to having people think of them as God in the flesh, that they were the leaders, they were the righteous ones, they were the holy ones. And I think they loved the fact that people looked at them as higher than everybody else. And so they walked around with their chins held high, their noses above everybody else, and said, I am the righteous one. But what happens here? Jesus comes along, who is sincere, pure, truthful, righteous, and holy. And he attracted so many people to himself. And when they saw people leaving to follow Jesus and the world going after him, they were jealous. And in jealousy, they hated him. Another reason why they hated him? John chapter 3. Jesus explained himself as a light that has come into the world. And those who are truthful, those who want to come to God with sincere hearts, and to find forgiveness, they come into the light of God. Because when the light of God shines on your heart and every sin is uncovered, we can then confess them to God and we receive mercy and forgiveness. But, Jesus said, those who are in the darkness, who love their sin, who love their wickedness and their evil, they will not come into the light. They won't do it. When Jesus came, he was a light shining for all to see. But the people who wanted to hold on through their sin, they did not want that light shining on them. Instead, they tried to extinguish the light by crucifying him on the cross. These are the ones who hated Jesus. That's crowd number one. The second crowd, 
I'm going too fast there. The second crowd are those who had no use for Jesus. I'm going to read several verses here. Verses 9, 12 to 13, and 17 to 18. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. Otherwise, hear me out. Now a great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there where Lazarus was raised from the dead, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. Those who had no use for him. But it certainly didn't start out that way. On this day, this one crowd we're talking about, those who had no use for him, they began as two different groups of people. One group was with Jesus. When he spoke, Lazarus, come forth. They saw the dead man come out. And they knew this must be the Messiah. Who can raise the dead like this man does? And then the news of what happened traveled into the city of Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem at that time, there are many people coming in. There are pilgrims coming in from all over the known world because it's the time of the Passover. Today is the day of preparing and presenting their lambs at the temple. And on this day, according to the historian Josephus, there were almost three million Jews gathered in Jerusalem. And on the Passover day, there would be about, or at least, 250,000 lambs being sacrificed. What just happened with Lazarus? The news has traveled to Jerusalem. And all these people who have gathered together from other parts of the world are hearing that someone just raised a dead man from the grave. And they thought the same thing they thought. Who else could it be but the Messiah? The one that God has sent into the world. Who else could it be but the true king of Israel? And so as Jesus is leaving that area and coming down the Mount of Olives on that donkey, these people heard about him coming and they all came out to meet him. And they began to shout, Hosanna! which is from the Old Testament, and it means save us. Save us. And they're saying that word Hosanna to a man whose name is Jesus. His name means the Lord is salvation. And so they're waving palm branches and they're rejoicing. The King of Israel is here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I think at this point, they had an expectation about the Messiah. They thought that he would do certain things, and they were certain about that. They thought he's going to come down this mountain, riding on this donkey, and then he's going to go into Jerusalem and begin to destroy the Romans. The Romans whose foot has been on our neck for so many years. 
He's come to save us and deliver our nation. And Israel will one day be again on top of the world. So come, blessed is he. Come, king of Israel, and destroy these Romans. That's what they expected. They thought he came to destroy. But he actually came to deliver us from sin. They thought he came to defeat the Romans. But he came as a savior for all mankind. Which tells me, when they first came to Jesus, they came with many expectations. They thought he should do certain things. They wanted him to do what they wanted him to do. And so they thought, this surely is the one. And yet, it's not what they expected. You know, a few days later, around Thursday, early in the morning, before the sun was up, all these people who were staying in Jerusalem, the same people who shouted, Hosanna, here's the king of Israel. All of these homes are hearing a rumor. Early in the morning, somebody said that Jesus was arrested. Somebody said that the Roman guard has now control of him. That he's at the praetorium meeting with the governor Pilate. He's at the judgment seat right now. And they hear this and they say that that can't be. He's the Messiah. How can he be arrested? And so all the people, the Bible says that there were multitudes of people. Early in the morning, they went to that place, the praetorium. They don't know what's happening inside. All they know is the Romans are in there and Jesus is in there. And all the Jewish leaders are waiting outside to see what's going to happen. They don't know the details of what's going on, but the people knew something incredible, something big is happening right now. What is it? Is Jesus going to kill Pilate? Is Jesus going to speak a word and obliterate all the Romans? Is Jesus going to march from Jerusalem into Rome itself and remove Caesar? Is it time? And as they waited with bated breath, finally, a call began to come out. He's coming. He's coming. And here's Pilate, the governor, bringing out Jesus. And Pilate said to all the people, Behold the man. And when they looked at Jesus, he was beaten and bloody. They mocked him and put a crown of thorns upon his head. They took a robe and put it around him to make fun of him that he was a king. And when all the people saw that, that's not what they were expecting. They had no use for a bloodied and beaten king. And the Bible says that all those people, many of them who days earlier shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. The same people now, now cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. He's not the Messiah. That's not what we want. We will not have that man reign over us. Crucify him. And then Pilate released Jesus to go and be crucified on the cross. And even at the cross, as he hung there, naked, dying with pierced hands and feet, 
These same people went there and they spat on him. They shouted at him. They mocked him and laughed. And they said, we thought you were a savior. If you're a savior, save yourself. What happened to these people? When they first came to Jesus, they came with demands. If you truly are who you say you are, then we demand that you do this and that you say this and that you do these things for us. And if you don't, we have no use for you. That was this crowd. And I'll tell you this. I meet way too many people who are just like this. Way too many people who come to a knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done. And then they say things like this. Jesus, I will trust in you if you heal my sickness. Jesus, I will, I will put all my faith in you if you help me get out of this mess. You help me with my company. You help me with my finances. You help me with this or with that. Jesus, if you do this, then I will certainly give you my life. I mean way too many people like that. And do you know what has happened every single time? No matter what they know, no matter what they see, if Jesus doesn't do exactly what they say, they say, well, I have no use for that. So I'll go and find somebody else. You know, I don't know, honestly, what's worse. What is worse? For those who hated him, those who just reject him, they want nothing to do with him. They don't believe, they will not submit. I reject you totally. What's worse between that and then it's someone else who hears the good news of Jesus and they see what Jesus is doing among people's lives and they get a taste of it and they hear the good news and they begin to believe Jesus really is who he says he was. But because he doesn't meet all of their demands, we have no use for you anymore. What do you think is worse in the eyes of God? Even in the Bible, like in the Gospel of John, the Bible says that in the beginning, Jesus had many people following him, probably by the hundreds, if not by the thousands. But when he began to teach the truth of who he was, slowly but surely, they all went away. They all stopped following because they didn't like this kind of Savior. They only wanted to follow someone that would do what they wanted him to do. And I say there are still people like that today. Those are the ones who come to a place and say, I have no use for Jesus. And then the third group, I'm sorry, I had those words for you. I just didn't show you. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's your fault. I'm just kidding. Number three, the third crowd are those who loved him. And all I have is just one verse from the story about this one. It comes from verse 16. It says his disciples did not understand the things at first, these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, after he rose from the dead and went back into heaven, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. This crowd involves his disciples. 
Do you remember his disciples? They all loved him. Well, except for one. The one who showed he never loved him at all and was willing to betray him into the hands of men. That was Judas Iscariot. But his disciples loved him. But even though they loved him, it was a weak kind of love sometimes, wasn't it? They had a shaky kind of faith, didn't they? For example, there was a time when Jesus was walking with his disciples down the road, and they're approaching this time, Palm Sunday, and Jesus said to them, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be betrayed and arrested. I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be killed. But then I'm going to rise again after that. He tells his disciples this about what's about to happen. He tells them about his suffering. And in the very next few verses, here comes James and John, the brothers. And they say, Jesus, please do what we're asking you. <laughs> and Jesus says, ask me, what's, what's the question? When you sit on your throne, Jesus, let John be on your right and, and James be on your left. Let us share your glory and share your throne with you. Oh, James. Oh, John. What are you thinking? He just told you about the suffering he's about to endure, and all you can think about is, can I be exalted with you? He says to his disciples another time, who do men say that I am? And some said, well, some think you're Jeremiah, some think that you're Elijah, some think that you're a prophet. And Jesus says to them directly, who do you say that I am? And here comes Peter, waiting for his moment, and he says very wonderfully, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father has revealed it to you. Oh, what a wonderful moment that was for Peter. Yeah? He just gave such a wonderful confession, something that pleased the heart of Jesus. And then Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter. And he didn't just say that, he said it in front of all the other disciples. And I can only imagine Peter feeling pretty good about right now. But in the next few verses, Jesus tells them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be crucified. And here comes the same Peter. He's mad. He pulls Jesus to the side and the Bible says he rebukes Jesus. Stop talking like that, Jesus. Stop saying these kinds of things. This is never going to happen to you. You know how Jesus responded? Get behind me, Satan. Oh, Peter must have gone from here to there in just a moment. Peter, oh, Peter, why couldn't you just keep quiet for a moment? Nevertheless, they loved him. And no one knew that better than Jesus himself. When Jesus was descending that mountain, riding on this donkey, in the midst of all the cheers and the rejoicing, the Bible says that the disciples did not understand what was happening. They had no idea what was going on. They were so caught up in that moment, seeing all these people, they didn't know and understand what was happening. But the day would come when they would remember. Somewhere after the resurrection, somehow, someway, 
they then remembered why these things happened. And I imagine it like this. The disciples got together for one of their weekly fish dinners. And as they're in the house together and talking with each other, they were just recollecting all the memories they had, walking with Jesus, the things he said, the things he did. Oh, do you remember when Jesus did this or did that? And they're all just laughing about things and perhaps even crying about some of the things. And in that conversation, James gets up and says, Mates, do you remember when we were out on the water, when Jesus told us to get into the boat and to go to the other side and we got caught in that storm? you remember that? And then we saw him walking on the water and we were afraid. We thought he was a ghost. And everybody's laughing and agreeing. And then James says, and then Peter, I don't know what got into you, but you got out of the boat and you started walking on the water to Jesus. And then Peter says, yeah, I remember that. I don't know what I was thinking either. <laughs> and you know what happened? I got so terrified. I was so afraid when I was on those waters like that. And do you remember what happened? I was so afraid I fell down into the depths of the water. And all I could do was scream, Lord, save me. And the next thing I knew, his hand grabbed a hold of mine and he lifted me up. Ugh. I had such little faith, such little faith, but he was always faithful to me. He was always faithful to us. And then John says, you're right, Peter. He was always faithful and he always loved us. John says, you remember when we went to Lazarus's funeral? Do you remember when all the people were there? Many of the people who didn't even believe in Jesus at the moment. And do you remember what Jesus did? I mean, he knew already that he's going to raise this dead man to life. He already knew that. And he also already knew that these same people who will believe in him will then say, crucify him in just a few days. Knowing all of that, do you remember when Jesus got there? He cried with all of them. He wept with all of them. He loved them all. And then Philip, remembering the same recollection, he says, yeah, he loved them all. And that was a lot of people. Do you remember that, guys? Man, that was a lot of people on that day. Multitudes from all over the world. Three million of them. They were all there. And do you remember how many people there were when we were coming down with Jesus into the city of Jerusalem? All those people shouting and rejoicing and calling on his name. And why he would ride on the donkey, we will never know. And then, right then, Nathaniel jumps up. He says, wait a minute, the donkey. Wait a minute, guys, of course, the donkey. And the men say, what's wrong with you? Nathaniel, what are you talking about? Why are you so excited? And he says, don't you remember? And then Nathaniel goes and gets his iPad and he types in Zechariah chapter nine. And he says, don't you remember what the Bible said? Listen, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. How did we miss that? How did we not see that? He was fulfilling the scriptures. 
And then everybody, astonished, with their mouths gaping open, just staring at each other. They didn't understand these things at first. But then, after Jesus' resurrection, then they remembered these things were written about him, and they did these things to him. As for this crowd, those that loved him, as for this crowd, and notice, it's the smallest crowd. It's always the smallest crowd. They loved him. Although they had their moments of being afraid, and occasionally they doubted, and often they lacked the understanding, yet through it all, they loved him. They loved Jesus. They loved Jesus, and he loved them. In fact, here's how John put it simply in John chapter 13. He loved them to the end. Through it all, through all of their failures and shortcomings, through all their difficulties and lack of understanding, he loved them to the end. And so in conclusion today, I'd like to ask you a question. What crowd are you in? today. Are you among those that hate him, have rejected him, those who refuse to come into his light that you may receive forgiveness of sins? Or are you among those who have no use for him? Well, it didn't start out that way, but eventually what you really want is a savior who will only abide by your rules and do your desires? Or are you among those who love him? Yes, there's still so much to know about him. And yes, you still struggle in many different areas of life, but you love him. And you cast all your life upon this one thing. He loves me to the end. He loves me to the end. Which crowd are you? Amen. Musicians, would you come? And if I could ask you all to just stay with me as we pray together.